Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Beyond the Cover. I am one of your hosts, John Robb, joined here by my ever-wonderful co-host, Jeff Ayers. Jeff, how are you doing? Doing great. How's it going? Doing very well. Uh, today's show is going to be a very exciting time. We are going to be speaking here with none other than number one New York Times bestselling author Harlan Coben. He's going to be talking about his latest book called The Boy from the Woods, so we're excited to be able to jump into that. want to remind everybody here that all of our shows are brought to you by Kensington Books, so visit kensingtonbooks.com for more information along with Suspense Magazine, so please make sure you visit suspensemagazine.com. And please subscribe to us on iTunes and Spotify. Very easy. You hear all the shows. We just put up Joseph Fender. We just have uh, Dean Koontz. And now we're going to be having Harlan Coben. So you ready, Jeff? Oh, absolutely. I'm very excited. All right. Well, hey, let's just thank uh, Mr. Harlan Coben for coming on. So, Harlan, how you doing? Thanks hey, so guys, much. Hey, guys. How are you? Great to, see, great to hear from you, I should say, again. Always yeah. a pleasure. <laughs> awesome. Always a pleasure. So um, your latest book, The Boy from the Woods, it comes out in March. I think it was March 17th. Is, am, am I right? Is that the right date? Uh, yes, March 17th. Yeah. yeah, so March 17th, latest book coming out, The Boy from the Woods. Uh, all right, throw down what you got going on for us in this one a little bit. Well, um, new character, maybe a, maybe a series. This might be the first in the series, but this well, it's two character, main characters. One, for people who have read a lot of my books, may be familiar with Hester Crimstein, who is a wise-ass attorney, approximately 70 years old, um, and she's been in a number of my books. I thought it was time to give you the background on her. She's been kind of in them for comic relief. Uh, and the other main character is the boy from the woods. His name is Wild. And the idea came to me, so imagine, because I saw this kid once just in the woods, playing in the woods, and of course nothing, nothing sinister about that. But I started to think, imagine if we found a kid wandering around the woods when he's six years old. He can speak. He's fairly normal. He remembers no life before this. He doesn't remember any parents. He's been scrounging around on his own, breaking into houses for food or living off the land. And that's how he's been. And now imagine 30 years pass, and he still doesn't know who he is. He still doesn't know who his parents are or how he ended up in the woods. It's still a great mystery. And now another kid goes missing in the woods, and he has to try to help find them. And that's the the premise, I guess, the start of The Boy from the Woods. Well, I, I have to jokingly ask you, could you give him a more obvious last name? Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> Wild, yes. Well, I thought that would be sort of telltale in, in, a, in a couple of different ways, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the things I liked about this is you're essentially talking about a guy who doesn't fit into society. Right. And I'm wondering, when you were writing this, did you foresee the clashing of societal norms as part of the novel while you were writing it? Yeah, I think a little bit. Um, also, I'm often driven by what I've already done to try not doing what I've already done. I've written, this is my 32nd, I think, book. I mean, 35, you know, I, I, I lose track. 31 or 32, I think it's 32nd. But, you know, Myron is very social. Most of my guys that I create you know, living with families, it's all about, it always tells me, oh, your books are always about family, or they're about friendship. Or, and here's a guy who really is a loner. He really doesn't fit in well to, in society. He's tried, but he ends up going back and living in this eco-capsule, as he calls it, um, in the woods alone. So part of it was wanting to see what that would be like uh, in terms of, of creating a book and still making him the character people could relate to. And part of it, as I say, you know, the, the different societal norms, this may be, without being left or right political, one of my more political books. So I think all of that sort of thing um, plays into it. 
Well, actually, I was going to ask you about that because usually you don't write about political things. Um, could you elaborate a little bit on that? Well, I thought it was more about this is not really trying to be, and I worked very hard to not make it left or right. It's a fault uh, of society when we, when I think I think it's a danger when we worship any sort of um, human being and how easily we are manipulated by human beings versus the system. So talk a little bit about that. It was also just good. <laughs> it was good plot foil. I mean, really, this is a story of a, of a of a man trying to find a teenager, and then things go haywire. And while I usually say that the repercussions for most of my crimes are fairly small, I mean, it stays in one community, it stays in one family, that sort of a thing, um, what ends up happening while it's try- exploring could really affect the entire world without sounding too dramatic which is also something I don't normally like to do or, or normally don't do. Um, so I just thought that would be an interesting way to explore this uh, particular book. No, so you it mentioned cool, that for this, sure. Oh, sorry, sorry. So, so oh, no, you mentioned cool. that, this, that this could possibly maybe be a series or something down the road. So when you kind of started thinking about what you wanted to do here and you started thinking about characters and the development – did, did that thought have that pro- did you have that thought process when you first started, or did it just kind of happen after maybe you were done and you said, "You know what? Maybe this could be a series." I think fairly early on, I never remember exactly. It wasn't before I started and it wasn't when I finished. It was sometime in the first couple of chapters, I think I said, "Well, he's kind of you know, I know a lot about his background, and it will slow this book down if I tell it all. But maybe over several books I could. So we don't really get a lot of answers about him personally. This is really about the case he's trying to solve and how it affects the world and a lot of people around him. Um, but it leaves the door open at the end, I think, for other possibilities for him. While being, you know, the boy, the boy from the woods is a close-ended book. There's a beginning, a middle, and an end. I, I, I don't really dig books that don't do that unless you know it ahead of time. So it really, you know, has a closing. But I could see where a lot of times I finish a character, um, you know, and I finished um, Simon Green in the book right before this runaway. I didn't think, ooh, you know, Simon Green will come back and do more things. No. But I do think Wilde and Hester could ride again. Well, um, speaking of that then, do you see yourself writing more about bigger implications rather than what you've been doing before? I never, you know, I never really know. <laughs> I, I, I just, what I, usually, I usually react to what I've done before. Um, so, you know, I, I wrote one book, and I wrote Hold Tight, I think it was, a number of years ago, I remember thinking this, and Hold Tight had 37 different viewpoints um, and affected a very, very tiny community. So the next book I wrote, Long Lost, which is a Myron book, it was first person, all from Myron's viewpoint, I had the chance to infect the entire world. So I often just react to what I've sort of been doing before and then try to snap back. And every few books... I wanted to then do usually a female lead. I think, you know, I, I'm always trying to, to mix up, and I thought it would be really interesting here where we not only have Wilde, but Hester Krimstein, who has said is, she's around 70 years old and a, an attorney from New York, and, we, and we, have, we give her romance in this book. We really find out her whole background. For those who have read my books, they've known Hester for years and years and have always kind of been enjoyed her as a side character, and it was really fun to find out and explore all the things in her life and the tragedy, actually, that she and Wilde share and why they're bonded. Well, I, I have to say, personally, I love how you bring someone like Hester back because that tells me that all the books that you're writing 
sort of have this interconnectivity, which I, I really get a kick out of. Thanks. Um, yeah. How, so now I have to ask you, how much do you know when you're sitting down to write the next book, which I'm assuming you've already, you're pretty close to finishing whatever your next one is, how much do you know when you sit down and actually write? Do you outline it all out or you just see what happens? I usually know the beginning and the end. Um, I usually know that, that last twist. And I think The Boy from the Woods is a pretty good last twist. Um, but I, knew that, I know those last twists pretty much um, before I sit down and write. So I know the beginning and the end. I know very little in between. I've said this many times, but I'll say it again. I, I, it's like I'm traveling from where I live in New Jersey to L.A. I may go Route 80. I may go via the Suez Canal or stop in Tokyo, but I pretty mm-hmm. much always end up in L.A. <laughs> okay. all right. Don't we all? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, I live in L.A., so I, I understand what you mean. In fact, I'm, I, I only work, you know, two blocks away from the Staples Center. went down there yesterday and saw the, uh, the Kobe Memorial. So, yeah, that was... Kind of weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, but you know, uh, you know, Jeff kind of brings up a, a, a good point uh, because you know there is a big thing about you know organic and and there is um, you know formula not not really um, or was it outlining so kind of like the organic and kind of the outlining kind of process and it sounds like you know you you kind of have more of the idea in your head and you just kind of like like organically let it grow. So when characters kind of jump up at you, like the boy from like the boy from the woods, and you kind of have those surprises, name like one or two in this book that kind of did that for you. One or two moments, you mean in this book? Or? No, like one or two characters that you know when you started kind of filling it out, you're like, wow, I didn't really think that this character was going to be maybe as big as it was when you kind of finished. That actually happens in a lot of books. Uh, I would say most books. Um, and yeah, there's always want, one or two, isn't there? The always. Name because all of a sudden you realize they're a character to watch. Um, but there's been a lot of books where I've created a character that I thought would have a scene, maybe two, uh, you know, one chapter, and end up lasting for a long, long time. Hester Crimstein being one example, probably 25 books ago when I first, when Myron first encountered her. Um, I think she was only supposed to be helping Myron in, I think it was One False Move, which was 1998, and it ends up that she's been in almost every book in some small way um, since. I know a character named Lauren Muse, who was just supposed to be in, uh, um, I think it was The Innocent, and I mix them up myself sometimes, and ended up staying around for uh, five straight books as a either a main or a, a minor character. Um, and this is not... You know, I, I really Myron's whole relationship. Uh, he had a girlfriend in the first few books, named Jessica Culver, and then I had him sort of doing a a, a, a one night stand, if you will, with a woman named Therese Collins, who I thought would never come back after the prologue of the final detail, in which came out in 1999, I think. And here they get married at the end of Home. So you just never really know. That's part of the fun of writing when a character sort of goes in a direction that you don't expect them to go. I have to ask you because it's going to be premiering here in a couple of days and I cannot wait. Thanks. Talk about Netflix Stranger. I'm so excited for people to watch The Stranger. Um, you know, uh, the, 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 the trailer hit a few days ago and it really kind of, in a nice way, has blown up. Um, and I've, you know, I've, I've worked on it. We, so I've seen all eight episodes and it's really good, I think. Um, 
it's really going to, even if you even if you know the ending because you've read the book, the ending is still going to knock you for a loop. Um, and I'm really happy with how it turned out. It'll be out January 30th, so I'm not sure when you guys are airing this. Probably from when, when, when you're when you're it'll listening. Probably, to yeah, it'll probably be aired after. Yeah. Yeah, you can go right on. Yeah. And, you can go right on and binge it. And in fact, you could actually, if you go exactly. um, starting January 30th, if you go to Netflix.com backslash Harlan Coben, you can pick. You can see all these shows that I have right now on Netflix, and they will up to date it whenever a new show is released. So right now, if you were to go on it, you'd see Safe in the Five, and once January 30th hits, um, they'll be adding um, The Stranger. Uh, so I think of the three shows, it's my favorite. But I keep—I oh, always say that about the new stuff. So I'm, I'm a terrible—I'm a terrible <laughs> judge. We had a screening in London a few weeks ago, and the reaction was really extraordinary. So I'm, I'm really mm-hmm. hoping that uh, you guys all check it out and let me know what you think. Yeah. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to watching it. Um, and I know you have two that are being made now. Yep. Um, and I have to ask you this. Um, what is the deal with this being made in foreign countries? Does the U.S. not love you? You're like no, the Jerry Lewis. I, I, I'd say it's the opposite. I'd say the world loves me. I had a, as, as I know you guys probably know, but a number of years ago I had a, um, a French film made of Tell No One that was a, a, a that um, Guillaume Canet directed and won a ton of awards and still put on people's top ten thriller list of all time and all that stuff, which I don't take credit for. That's Guillaume Canet. Um, and it sort of opened up a bit of a love affair. I also sell more books um, overseas than I sell in the U.S. Probably one of the few authors you talk to um, that can say that. I really enjoy it. Um, I love the fact that it's made that a lot of the stuff is being made in, in foreign countries. But Netflix, I think, uh, intentionally uh, made the deal with me with the hope that we'd be able to do things in a lot of different countries, which is, I think is a win-win in, in today's world. Because, So, for example, The Woods is being made, it's actually finished being filmed, and I've seen all the episodes, and it's, it's going to be great. Uh, Netflix is making The Woods in Poland, Netflix huh. Poland. So it's a Polish original. So mm-hmm. from Netflix's perspective, I sell a lot of books in Poland. You can get the top talent in Poland because they all want to be seen all over the world. It'll be big show in Poland, but it will also be seen here because Netflix, when they press that that magic button, all the episodes end up in 190 countries all at the same time, and wow. that's really cool. And that's cool. really, Americans, grow up. Watch a show with subtitles <laughs> or dubbed. I mean, stop it. I mean, the people exactly. who whine about that, it drives me crazy. Really, you know, the, the guy from Parasite said it beautifully the other night when he was when he won like best director. I mean, when you open your mind up to starting to watch things with subtitles, you're going to open up a whole world of, of great movies and great TV that's going on in the world. And we as Americans got to stop that nonsense. The whole world has been doing it for years. So when somebody tells me, oh, I'm not going to watch this show because I have to read subtitles, grow up. Stop it. Yeah. Um, so anyway, oh, I'm not no, going to apologize, I'm, I'm but I love it. And I can't wait for you. So we have Netflix uh, is doing The Woods in Poland, and Netflix is doing The Innocent um, in Spain and in, with Oriol Paolo. And if you see, here's another example. Oriol Paolo made, in my opinion, the best thriller movie of the last five years at least. Really, the best. It was called hmm. The Invisible Guest. If you haven't seen it, it's on Netflix. Watch it with subtitles. It's, the, it's the, one of the twistiest thrillers I've ever seen. Stars Mario Casas, who is a huge star in Spain. And Mario and um, Oriol got back together 
to make, and now they're making The Innocent, which I'm very excited about. So there's there's oh, a Netflix tip so for you if you want to watch a movie. Uh, yeah, very cool. Guest, directed by Oriel Paolo, starring <clears throat> Mario Casas. It's on your Netflix. I'll definitely pick that up for sure. Yeah. Um, I've been watching this uh, time travel series that was done in Spain, too, and uh, just been getting a big kick out of that. Can I remember the title? No, but I do like it. <laughs> yeah, they've made a number. This, this, I think this is a great thing for everybody. You know, the Money Heist was a big hit um, here, which is a Spanish show. Uh, you know, the, the, we've been letting in the killing and some Nordic uh, shows into our world, and we're always so happy when we, when we watch them. It's been a, a ton of great British shows, of course, um, over the last right. few years. Line of Duty and, and, and uh, uh, Luther and Broadchurch, and so, uh, you know, it's great. And, 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 it, and it can it spice it. You know, we complain about how bad American TV is or something like that. We'll spice it up and watch a little something else. You'd be surprised how much you enjoy it. Why have they not uh, done Myron yet? Well, the, Netflix doesn't own Myron. I've, I've held Myron yeah. back. We'll see what happens with Myron. I'm much more careful okay. with Myron because I'm not going to really write um, you know, Dave Becker, Adam Price, in the case of The Stranger, is played by Richard Armitage from the Hobbit movies. Um, I'm not going to really do anything with Adam Price again, so I'm, I'm not quite as careful with that. Uh, with Myron, I'm, I'm always a little bit more wary. Okay. Thanks. <clears throat> so, okay, you've been on... I don't know, countless book tours. I mean, you've been out there. You've met thousands and thousands of fans and whatnot. Tell us, tell us a funny little book book signing story that 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 you can remember. Oh, jeez, putting me on the spot here. Yeah, just you know, come on, just a funny little ones. Maybe no, someone. I had a guy. I mean, I guess this isn't. Most of them aren't funny. Most of them are actually. I mean, I've had some. Well, I guess the. I always tell the story of my very very first one of my very first signings. Mm-hmm. Um, I was doing a signing uh, for. My book Play Dead in 1990, and it was like Thanksgiving weekend at a Walden Books at a mall. No one knew who I was, and no sales, you know. And I'm sitting there alone. <laughs> There's like four copies of my of the book behind me. Uh, the first per- I, two people approached me while I was there. The first asked me where the bathroom was. The, oh, second, the second asked me if I knew if they had the new Stephen King novel. And uh, I'm just about ready to leave. And an old man kind of comes shuffling over to me, and he has all the signs of, like, oh, this guy's going to tell me how Captain Crunch assassinated JFK or something like that, which we also get every signing uh, sometimes. I shouldn't say every, but... And he goes over to me, and he says, uh, is that your book? And he looks behind, looks behind me, and he's pointing the shelf. They the store was smart. They only bought four copies. And I said, uh, yeah, that's, that's my book. And he goes, well, what's that like? And I go, what do you mean? He says, well, that's my dream having a book one day at a bookstore and a bookshelf. So what's that feel like? And I just sort of sat there, and he goes, lucky. And he walks away. Story I never forget. Good lesson to remember. Not funny, but a good story to remember. Interesting, though. But, I mean, you're sitting there, and, and you kind of look back at it now, and you're just like, I mean, it's like kind of like a band, you know, like a Def Leppard or whatnot. You know, you're sitting in these clubs, no one's seeing them, and all of a sudden... You know, you're kind of doing stadium tours, and you, but you can always look back at that time, and it kind of just makes you remember, like, that's the struggle that we had. Yeah. Uh, it's really, in hindsight, struggling. It's is humbling. Great. <laughs> struggling yeah. is great. Because the, the author who sort of makes it very quickly, I don't think, will ever have the appreciation that the author uh, who struggle 
have. They just don't, they don't get it. So um, I've been very lucky that way. It also inspires me because I remember what it was like then. And it wasn't that much fun. Looking back on it, I wouldn't want to go back to it. So you yep. work that much harder to make sure and to appreciate where you are. I really do appreciate the good things that have happened. Um, I'm enormously grateful that anybody still comes out and sees me for a book signing. Yeah. Most of the stories I hear, you know, someone will tell me about an illness that they had and how the book got them through. I had a guy last signing in Houston, and he came with his wife and his two kids, and he handed me a note. And he said, you know, I, I did something bad, and I ended up in prison for a while. And your books helped me get through that, and now I'm a better man and a better father for it. And he wanted to pose for a picture with his entire family in the book. Now, if you as an author don't get moved by that, you're in the wrong business. Exactly. Uh, so how lucky am I that I get to hear a story like that on the road? That's, oh, cool. that's a wonderful story, yeah. Um, my first time I saw you do a signing, um, you talked a bit about the early covers for the Myron books, and I still remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like an old comedy. It's like when Jerry Seinfeld does his old socks routine. <laughs> but those were so great. Um, yeah, um, essentially, you called it the Bleeding Balls series. Oh. Um, <laughs> Yes, well, I had hemorrhaging sports equipment on my on my books uh, uh, back in those days. So, you know, as I said, people, um, like if you're out there and you're listening and you're somebody who's struggling and just starting, like I get emails from people saying, you know, I've written two books that I've managed to sort of self-publish. Why aren't I selling like you and Grisham yet, you know, or something like that? And it's like I got to remind them, you know, Tell No One was my 10th book, my first New York Times bestseller was my 10th published book, and those Myron, early Myron books you're talking about were paperback originals. They were only in mass market paperback, and the first printing was 15,000 copies. I got an advance of $5,000. And by the fourth one, and I'm not trying to brag here, but by the fourth one, I was making $6,000. Oh, shit. <laughs> so... You know, it wasn't overnight, uh, it, but we weren't expecting to either. You know, we didn't have the Internet back True. then. I didn't know how bad, you know, if I, if I had known all the information, it's one of the things I would try telling authors, like, don't keep looking at your Amazon rankings or whatever else. Just, just write the next book, because if I knew, you know, what a pimple on the ass of publishing I was, I probably would have been depressed and given up, but I didn't really know, because I, there was no way of knowing. I didn't know how I was selling next to other people. I had a book in a bookstore that was published by Dell. I didn't really know anything else, and that was enough mm -hmm. to write the next one and the next one. And that's the key. Don't worry so much about it. Just write, right. you know, write the next one. Well, I'm curious then, because somebody said, oh, you wrote a kid's book, um, The Magical Fantastical Fridge, and I said, that can't be the same Harlan Coben. There must be another one. But this nope. was you. Could you? <laughs> it's the same. I had a friend who I thought, uh, she's a wonderful artist named Leah Tanari, and uh, I kind of had this little idea, and I love her artwork. And so we just made a little book for little kids. I mean, uh, that's cool. It, it's just a cute little thing, um, and we had a lot of fun doing it. It was a small book, um, but uh, and Leah's done so a couple others since, and, um, you know, she's great. So awesome. I would say that your your website's probably the best place for people to find out all the information about you. Uh, am I right? HarlanCoben.com? 
Yes, I came up with that name by myself. By the way, by the way that address. That's a good one. <laughs> Even the dot com, or did they kind of give like that to one brag, to you? But yeah, I actually came up with that harlancoben.com dot <laughs> com as the website for Harlan Coben. So you'd be surprised. Some and authors my Twitter try is to also get Harlan Coben, and my Instagram okay. is Harlan Coben. But my Facebook is Harlan Coben Books, so I screwed up there. No, someone stole Harlan Coben. <laughs> yeah, I did. So are you, are you pretty active on all three sites, or are you active on yeah. more than or like one or the other? Um, I'm actually fairly active on – we're fairly active on all of them. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, enough that, yeah, if you, want to, if you like following those things. And I know people can – Sign up for your newsletter. How about how many newsletters do you uh, put out? Maybe uh, a year or a month. Not, I've been told I have to put out more because I was doing maybe three a year, but now I'm doing one a oh. month or so. Okay. Um, so we'll see how that goes. Cool. <laughs> well, it's I'll tell you and, what. As I say, it's as Larry Block, Lawrence Block always says that his newsletter is yep. free and worth every penny. <laughs> Mine's also you free. get what you pay for. It's Mine's free. also free, but I think you're probably getting ripped off. <laughs> <laughs> Well, hey, Harlan, I want to thank you so much for coming on. Uh, Jeff and I have had a wonderful time. We want to thank you so much. The book, of course, is called The Boy from the Woods, and it's out March 17th. So very excited to see that. So thank you so much again. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. You have a good one, and we will talk to you soon. Take care. Thanks so much. Take care, guys. Good talking to you. All right. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye-bye.